This is the Evergreen Empire. Green grow the forests and fair flow the streams. The gentle deer grazes, the wild blossom gleams. From ocean wave raging to mountain serene. All nature's proclaiming our land's evergreen. Welcome to Columbia Conversations. I'm Felix Bennell, editor of Columbia Magazine for the Washington State Historical Society. On this episode, we speak with a trio of high school students from Spokane who produced an award-winning documentary about the history of the construction and the ultimate removal of the Elwha Dam. Now, the National Park Service, Fish and Wildlife Agencies, and local Indian tribes are requesting removal of the dams. Certainly, alternative power sources can be found for the pulp mill. We connected via Zoom for a conversation about freeing the Elwha, setting the standard for breaking the nation's river barriers. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of Columbia Conversations. I want to have each of our guests introduce yourself to our listeners. All right. I'm Jacob Gannon. Uh, Manahu, my name is Ivy Pete. I'm a junior at North Central High School. Hi, my name is Alexis Shalock, and I'm also a junior at North Central High School. I got a chance to watch your documentary. I, I learned a bunch of stuff about the Elwha Project that I didn't know before. I think you guys did a fantastic job setting the context and putting the chronology in place and showing all the really sort of terrible things that happened to the indigenous people and the laws that weren't followed. I was sort of, I don't know, maybe kind of mad you know, learning all that stuff. Thank what you so the, much. Yeah, it was wonderful. What was the inspiration? How did you choose the topic? Oh, I think just like you said, um, as we kind of went through, it kind of made me mad, you know, it was a lot to learn and it was hard to stay partial as we um, went through this process and navigated all the different points of view. Uh, for me, I have a passion for tribal sovereignty and learning about indigenous peoples uh, and how we live today. And so that was my point of view. And I know each of us were kind of in it for some different reasons. So, And now that was Ivy saying that. And now, um, who wants to tell me the name of the documentary and what it's about? Who wants to kind of give us an introduction? Well, this is Jacob, by the way. Our documentary is called Freeing the Elwha, and that's basically because we're talking about um, releasing the water behind the dams and really with that all of the issues that they brought along for the Native American community, um, fish populations, and various political interest groups that were really being harmed by the dam. It had been around for over a hundred years and at the point of removal it wasn't bringing anything beneficial to the community. There was no power being generated, or at least it was at a point where um, it wasn't helping different buildings or infrastructure in the community. And it's, you know, the, the, a number of archival photographs and archival video clips and things that you found is, I was, I was really impressed. Again, um, it, it really blew me away. So where did you find all that fabulous material? Well, this is Alexis. We found a lot of that from the University of Washington archives, as well as the Prelinger archives. And we even reached out to the Seattle Times to get a collection of photos that were found in one of the books that we had. Mm -hmm. 
And I think um, another part of it, that's always the thing with History Day, I don't know how familiar you are, but uh, it's that fight and challenge, this is Ivy, by the way, to, to get those photos and get all those resources in time. And uh, that was another thing we faced is this, uh, this topic specifically, it was 30 years ago, but it's also a continuation of history today and the story's still playing out. And so we had to work, uh, I'd say pretty hard to balance that story and make sure we were uh, telling the full truth through the span of years. And you know, documentaries, history documentaries have been around for as long as I can remember. Were there particular documentaries that you were inspired by or documentarians or people doing similar work in other parts of the country or the world that, that you sort of use as a model for how you put your production together? I think all of us had a little bit of experience before with History Day. And so we'd kind of been familiar with what it took to compete in the project itself. And additionally, just because this is an unfolding story, there are a lot of uh, historical documents and uh, even documentaries about river remove dam removal and on the Elwha specifically as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, it reminded me of like, a, you know, Ken Burns is sort of the gold standard everyone talks about yeah. would be the Civil War or baseball or jazz or whatever. And this, this has the same feel. I mean, it's 10 minutes long, but you guys do a really nice job of balancing the photographs, the narration. I love the clip of Governor Dan Evans from Channel 7. That's like, that, that stuff, you know, I do similar work. I do radio documentaries and video documentaries about history all the time. And it's rare to be able to find like the right piece of tape where you actually have someone's voice saying something that helps you tell the story. And that, that was great. That's, that's a real, that's a real accomplishment. Now you guys were, you gave, you, you received some kind of award for this, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, this is Jacob. We received the Washington state historian award and the senior um, historical society award. And with those came a prize, but we also got to work with, the Historical Society over the summer on putting together a similar presentation like this for people that were interested in the topic and really getting some of that knowledge out there. That's great. And what kind of feedback have you gotten from the different, have you heard from like the indigenous people, for instance? Uh, yeah, so that was uh, something we kind of balanced as we went through. We were looking to interview some more people, but unfortunately as COVID hit, uh, it became apparent that most elders had been, you know, put underground for the safety of tribal communities. Um, for me, I'm a member of the Paiute Nation, so um, this is something that is uh, personal and near and dear to my heart. And so as we, we can talk a little bit more about this, but as we navigated the project, we really wanted to highlight the indigenous voices as well as talk about the history behind it and the ecological impact and things of that nature. And so I think uh, I feel really proud of what we've done to balance that history because of course, when we're talking about things uh, of a historical nature, sometimes voices are uh, erased or silenced or minimized. And so I don't know how Jacob and Alexis feel, but I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, that's, I, I run into that a lot. I mean, just I'm, I'm of European descent and I do stories that involve you know, information about what happened in the indigenous history here. And that you're right, those voices sometimes don't get brought to the forefront as often as they should. So this, this goes a long way toward correcting that. Um, in, in doing the research, like where you, I, I love how you put it in context about how Port Angeles fits into this and how the electrical power fits into it and the Bolt decision. And then, the, you know, I had no idea the legislation that to remove the dam went back to the H. George H.W. Bush era of 1992. That's, that's this again, it's just, I was, my eyes were opened by this piece. Um, were there things about the story that really surprised you or people you ran across or facts that came up that, that sort of 
blew you away as well as you were putting it together? For me, this is Alexis. What really surprised me the most were was the effects of the environment that the dams had caused. I believe we had said in there that in under a decade, 90% of salmon populations had decreased. And that is huge, especially as the salmon served as sustenance for the tribe. The dam really affected them and their culture and their entire livelihood. And to see how Thomas Aldwell had seen the dam as something beautiful and only as an economic opportunity, rather than as something that was sustaining other cultures was really surprising, but I guess it also plays along with the entire colonial period. What about you, Jacob or Alexis? Any, any surprises for you? I think for me, this is Jacob. Um, it was really interesting and upsetting, in fact, to hear about the bureaucracy that stopped it all from happening. They were working on it, like you said, since the George H.W. Bush era. And as we talked with different interviewees, we just heard the same story that it kept getting put off year after year. And then even to this day, uh, we mentioned at the end of our documentary that there's another set of dams um, along the Klamath River in Northern California. And I just read that that project has been delayed again. So it's going to be a few more years until this can spread to the rest of the country. Wow. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was uh, surprising. The, the full title of our documentary is Freeing the Elwha, Setting the Standard for Breaking the Nation's River Barriers. And so as we kind of talked about it, the this dam, the Elwha Dam, was like the largest of its time. And so living through that history, of course, we were born, you know, early 2000s. Um, and so being able to talk to people like Senator Murray, and she was the one who was um, at the kind of at the inception when the, the talks of taking it out were happening. And so to be so close to something so big and Washington being such a large hydroelectric power generator, uh, I think that was uh, meaningful and moving for me to know that we're almost part of the history. Yeah, and I love just the continuum of how it all fits together. Just, you know, again, with the, fo the photographs that you found in the stories, the thing, one of the things I was surprised by was this notion of a Washington state law 100 years ago that required fish ladders or fish passage. Mm -hmm. I found that sort of equally encouraging that they knew that that was critical or knew that that was important 100 years ago, but also just sort of heartbreaking that they didn't enforce it for this project. Do, do, you, know, do you know why it was never enforced or what, what, why that sort of fell through the cracks? I'm really not sure, honestly. And I think it was just that different political interests outweighed the law somehow, and they managed to find a loophole that allowed them to get around it. I think we heard from another group that they were able to switch out a fish ladder with um, fish hatcheries, which can actually be devastating or more devastating to the salmon populations because there's inbreeding and a decrease of genetic diversity, um, which has much longer impacts on the population as a whole. Yeah, it, it's such a strange thing because I'm, you know, I, I was born, I've lived here my whole life. I was born in the late 60s and, you know, throughout my childhood and teenage years and even into my 20s, hydroelectric power at least the level I was paying attention, it was all good. It was all, you know, renewable. It wasn't, you know, there was no, uh, no fossil fuels being burned. It was clean. It was, you know, 
it just, it ran, we just turned on the switch and the generators cranked out the electricity. And I don't really recall hearing so much about the damage to salmon and other, you know, wildlife population until it seems like only about 25 years ago. It seems relatively recent. And it, it is your sense that uh, people, a lot of people or people with it close to the projects knew what they were doing to the fish populations, but were just, um, the electricity was, took, took, was, was, was more important than, than the fish? Or do you have any sense of kind of the decisions or choices that were made 100 years ago? Yeah, I think, I mean, us, we live in Spokane, which big river running right through our city. We have multiple dams. I think it was um, not too difficult to contextualize when a city is growing and there's a large population of immigrants or colonizers coming and they want to establish homes. That's always going to take precedence because of the power that holds and the money that's uh, profitable from it. And so, I mean, from my perspective, I would say absolutely. There is uh, some level of, you know, railroading. They knew what they were doing and um, that it took precedence. Yeah. And I mean, the, I love the notion of history being used as a tool to understand the present and prepare for the future. Is there potential for your piece to do something to either uh, alter policy or alter the course of how the state government and the federal government seems to often fail in the way that it relates to indigenous people, especially you know, in this state, but true in the, all the United States, actually? I mean, is there sort of, can, we, can people be inspired or changed by what they've seen in, in your documentary? I think absolutely there's always that, like Jacob mentioned, that narrative is opening when we talk about the the use of dams. Are they creating more harm than good or are they producing for our community? And so um, I'm not sure the the profound impact of our documentary itself, but I know as we as we learned about the dams themselves, I think I learned a lot about the system and the power holders and what upholds something that can be doing so much damage. And so as as I move forward, I will keep that in mind as uh, as we look at history, who's telling it and which stories are highlighted and held to be true versus the ones that, you know, even in cultures that um, are majorly oral and don't have a written history, it's how do we balance that as historians and just as uh, members of the community in Washington state as a whole. Yeah, it, it's a fabulous documentary. Congratulations on the awards, but just even if you didn't get the awards, it's just a, it's a wonderful achievement because these kinds of stories, they, they, they affect people one by one. And you know, I, I certainly have learned a lot from it. Do you want to shift topics slightly? Just to ask you guys, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic, obviously. Let's hear from each of you what, what the school year has been like. Jacob, you want to go first? Like, what's, what's the school year been like for you in the, the big pandemic of 2020? Well, let's start related to this project. We started out passing back and forth Alexis's computer probably once or twice a week just so that we could finish our documentary before it was due at the end of April. And it's just grown from there. Um, our school district is fully online except for kindergarten through second grade, which have just now been phased in. And it's just been really interesting getting used to being in a chair, sitting in front of a screen for, it should be, three and a half hours a day, but because we have so much homework and that's also online, it's six, seven hours probably. Man. What about you, Ivy? Oh, for me, it's about the same. I'm, uh, I like to stay pretty politically engaged, so I have quite a bit of stuff after school generally. Um, but it's, for me, Spokane is so blessed with so many outside um, options to go and do things. I'm a climber, so um, 
I've found a new respect for being able to get out even in the cold and touch some rock or walk through the forest and um, appreciate what we have because it's so hard, of course, like Jacob said, when you're on the computer all day long, you know, on Zoom meetings. Yeah. How about you, Alexis? Mine is exactly like both of what Ivy and Jacob said. I'd have to say it's been difficult adjusting to the online world, but it's also been really nice to have the opportunity to engage in people from all over since we have more virtual platforms available now and I can be a part of more activities since they're online so I don't have to have to worry about transportation or anything like that and I can also spend more time with my family. Yeah, I don't envy you guys. I think, um, I think the pandemic is affecting people between about 15 and 25 in their social lives and their educational lives and just more than people my age, certainly. Um, so I don't envy you guys, but I do think there will be some kind of, uh, I don't know, a silver lining from the shared experience that 10, 20, 30 years from now, people your age now will be able to look back and know that you, know, you survived this together and you're shaped in ways that we can't even anticipate yet. So anyway, I have, I'm hopeful about the future, I guess. Um, and speaking about that future, Alexis, what are, what are your plans post high school? Post high school, I would like to go to study pre-medical and then I would like to go into the medical field and become a functional medicine doctor. That's great. What about you, Ivy? Uh, for me, I'm not quite sure yet. I'm thinking about a run for office next year, um, county commissioner, which would be kind of cool, but um, all just depends on where I decide to go to college. I'm hoping to get maybe go to Georgetown for some international relations and pre-law stuff. How about you, Jacob? I'm not quite sure, just like Ivy. Um, I've got lots of different interests, but I think I'm probably headed more towards a biomedical or medical field. You know, I, part of me is kind of glad that none of you said, oh, I want to make history documentaries, because I think the more people who have the, the three kind of diverse interests that you've described that have a foundation in history and understand the value of history, that's better than having more people out there making history documentaries. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a good thing for you contextually to be able to have that skill to sift through data, you know, raw data about the past and come up with your own conclusions about it. That's a, that's a great thing. So I really appreciate you taking time to chat with us on Columbia Conversations about your documentary. Can one of you tell me the name of it again and how people can actually watch it for themselves? Yes. So the name of our documentary is Freeing the Elwha, Setting the Standard for Breaking the Nation's River Barriers. You can just Google that name on YouTube. All right. Well, wonderful. Alexis Shalak, Ivy Pete, Jacob Gannon, thank you for joining us on Columbia Conversations. And um, Happy New Year, and here's to 2021 being a lot better for everybody. Manahovu, thank you so much for having us. And congratulations yeah, on, on the awards and congratulations on the work. It's, uh, I will post the link on the Columbia Conversations page. Uh, more people should see your work. And uh, good luck with all your future endeavors, and thank you again. Have a great day. Thank you to Alexis, Ivy, and Jacob for speaking with me on this episode of Columbia Conversations from the Washington State Historical Society. Their award-winning documentary, Freeing the Elwha, Setting the Standard for Breaking the Nation's River Barriers is available to watch on YouTube. For more information about Columbia Magazine or to subscribe, please visit WashingtonHistory.org. I'm Felix Bunnell. <laughs>